Welcome to episode 17 of the Half Point Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined once again by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and our producer, Johnny Pham. And this week, we've got a lot to get to. We're going to go through a few guys and tell you whether or not you should trade, keep, or cut them, um, similar to another game where maybe you have to, to marry somebody or do other things. Um, uh, other things are involved. We'll also take a look at some regression candidates. Uh, five weeks through the season, some guys who are performing at a level that we just don't expect the rest of the way. The usual starts and sits and the QB streamers, which I think we finally both got good QB streamers last week, Dalton. I don't remember. Who you, I, I had Teddy. Did you have Teddy as well? I did have Teddy as well, yeah. So, so we, last finally, week, we, we finally nailed the QB streamers. It took us a while. Uh, to be <laughs> fair, none of the other ones were our fault. The process was there, and the process paid off. <laughs> well, and, and I'm glad you said that, because that's exactly how I feel about my star of the week. Deontay Johnson, or I mean Chase Claypool, because Deontay Johnson's going to get hurt five seconds into the game, right? Well, if you remember, my star of the week was also Deontay Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot we had the same one. <laughs> so... Uh, process was there. Player was not. Did not know that Deontay Johnson actually deserves the routinely injured tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only routinely injured, the very annoying routinely injured just after the game starts. So he'll get you a solid 0.5 or 0.9 like he's done twice already this season. But this week is also a big week. We have Dalton versus Johnny in, in one of our leagues. A, a big matchup of, of two, three, and two teams. I'm looking forward to it. Just kind of taking care of business, taking out the trash, moving on down the line. My team's looking forward to week seven, to be honest with you. Uh, okay. Um, my big thing that I'm looking forward to concern is players scheduled to start. And then 20 minutes before tip off, he's just ruled out. Um, I think I got really lucky beating Justin last week because Julio Jones was announced out after all the games had started. And- well, the big one was Michael Thomas, too, just deciding to punch somebody, apparently. Wait, wait. Oh, okay, that's right. Well, I guess Justin has both Yeah, incredibly somehow. But, yeah, he just didn't play. So that was kind of nice that he just had a zero in the box score. So, I mean, maybe Devontae Adams doesn't play just right <laughs> after the noon games. That'd be great. But, I, don't think, um, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I would just be glad that you get Aaron Jones back in the lineup again this week. That's true. And then also have... Uh, um ryan fitzpatrick as a little streamer so mm-hmm. didn't know he was qb6 i guess after the first game against the patriots he's just been balling so looking forward for him to put up 30 on dalton and josh allen throwing a good old goose egg maybe like six points yeah i'll believe that when i see it <laughs> you, you want to talk about um your um waiver wire pickup from last week Dearness johnson and how well he's doing? Uh, Darius Johnson is like a fine wine. He gets mm. better with time. So this week, we're really going to see him pop off. Uh, I, I don't oh, put him in your uh, starting lineup then. Well, like a fine wine, you keep him in the basement until it's ready to be open. <laughs> no, uh. Not just the basement, the cellar. Walk <laughs> away so nobody can see it. Um, okay, you can also subscribe to the newsletter at halfpointperpod.substack.com had the waiver stuff come out this week and we'll probably be back on there again next week with, with similar 
similar stuff as well. Hopefully, you picked up Chase Claypool if you are in need. He went for a whopping $51 in our league, but I understand Justin's 0-5, so he basically he has to win or it's over. So I do I do understand that. Um, unfortunately, we're going to start with a little bit of a downer, a couple of things that are a downer, actually. Um, first, as of like 10 minutes before we started recording this, um, the Falcons are shutting down their facility after multiple positive COVID-19 tests. That's per Adam Schefter. Um, they play the Vikings this weekend, played the Panthers last weekend. Uh, they have four positive tests, Seth Schefter is, is saying. That's according to sources. So not great there. Keep an eye on that, obviously. Um, if we've learned anything over the last handful of weeks, it is that these games can still be played under these circumstances, but it's going to be stressful. It could be a Monday or Tuesday game again, so just make sure – you're making all those lineup decisions, moving those guys in the flex if if you really need a Julio Jones, um, a Mike Davis, uh, guys like that in, in your lineup. Yeah, and it looks like the NFL is taking a Chief Spagnolo uh, approach to this, which has been don't break. Uh, every COVID test they get, they just try to find a new game. I think we're getting closer to the the week 18 that was promised that we might be getting this year. Yeah, um, it would have been nice if they had just had started off the schedule like that, but it is what it is. Also, Melvin Gordon was charged with a DUI earlier this week. Uh, last I saw, Fangio is undecided if he'll play this weekend. I guess I shouldn't say last I saw. Last he spoke, that that's what he said. So obviously, as of this recording, which is really early Thursday morning, we don't really know the full situation there yet. But if he does miss this weekend... Uh, or Monday, whenever the Broncos play the Patriots, that game's been moved like 85 times. Um, is Philip Lindsay a must start for you guys? Well, yes, Philip Lindsay, if I have him on my roster, especially considering some of the bye weeks you have, Chris Carson and Alvin Kamara out, uh, you you do need some fill-ins in those spots. Uh, so Philip Lindsay's in a good position to return some good value. Another sneakier start is Royce Freeman. Uh, career-wise, Royce Freeman's run more routes and had more targets on the field when playing with Philip Lindsay. He's just run the ball less. Uh, so there's still upside to both of those players. It's also against a good New England team uh, that I would probably profile to control the game. And overall, I don't know how how well Denver's going to be in it. We'll see whether or not Drew Locke is a go. I know he's kind of iffy, but he definitely increases the value of both those backs if he's available mm-hmm. to play. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like Locke is at least on track to play. He's practiced some this week for the first time. And if he plays that, that obviously helps. Not that he's been great this year, but he's definitely better than what's behind him. And uh, hopefully Noah Fant is back as well. That would help help that offense, uh, which is obviously short on receivers. Though I don't even know what Hamler's status is. We all know Sutton is out for the year. But but yeah, um, back to my original question. I, I do think if you have Lindsey and and Gordon misses, you're probably playing. I mean, you have to be pretty stacked at running back. Not to he's probably a top top twenty play because every time Lindsey is the lead back, he's basically always a good NFL player. Rushes for over a thousand yards over over each season, and he he's a guy that you want in your lineup. When, when good players like that get chances, you you want to be um, you want to be able to put those guys in your lineup. Yeah, and we talked about this on previous pods, but Lindsey's just overall is a good NFL player. He has a good yards per carry. He's good at finding the tackles, and he's explosive once he gets in the open field. So he does have the chance to cut one up for you and really get a long touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only other concern I would monitor it a bit is his injury. I know it's still a little lagging. I know he was on track to play last week, but you still just want to monitor those to see what his snap counts look like. You don't want to get us, uh, you know, a nice little October surprise with. 
Philip Lindsay only running the ball four times for 30 <laughs> yards or something. Yeah, I guess you really the only thing you can do there then is just keep an eye on if they say he's going to be limited, but odds are they probably aren't going to tell us. So that is just something else to keep in mind, I guess, if you're willing to um, kind of accept that risk with playing Philip Lindsay. Yeah, the risk is definitely there, but I, I like Philip Lindsay as a guy to start this week. I also like Royce Freeman as a low owned option in some of my DraftKings lineups. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say also with DraftKings, if Lindsay is the starter, I'm sure his price will not be reflective of that, so he'll probably be a very popular daily play. Yeah, he's probably going to be chalking cash games. <laughs> All right, well, I, I have the Lev Bell stuff down. We're going to save that till the very end and hope that by then he has signed somewhere, maybe the Chiefs, maybe elsewhere, and we can maybe react to it live on on the pod. But at any rate, we're going to go on to the keep trade cut portion of the pod. We picked three guys. Um, three guys that have kind of been headaches, quite frankly. We didn't pick any like super high profile like stars at the position, although one guy that we maybe thought was going to be that. Um, and just yeah, go through. Obviously, if we say cut, that does not mean cut at any cost. And th- this is not one size fits all, but this is just like what's the best thing to do with this player um, under normal circumstances on, on your roster. And Dalton, we're going to start with. Michael Gallup, uh, talk about a guy that's been an enigma this year. I mean, he's made some of the biggest plays in multiple games for the Cowboys, um, including last week after Dak was hurt. They're in the close game with the Giants. He made probably the two biggest plays of the game, Um, had two long catches late in that game, which accounted for like probably 40 to 50 percent of his production. Um, He has 28 targets, just one touchdown, over 60 yards twice. He disappears in long stretches, and obviously now there's no Dak, but at the same time, you know, he's still been a top 32 wide receiver given all all of that. Um, and you gotta figure Lamb and Cooper, things are gonna kind of cycle between those guys at some point. So what do we do with Michael Gallup? Well, uh unfortunately, my my guy of the preseason uh, is a trade. I still think there's value to be had with Gallup. I think that overall um, obviously, Dallas took a hit fantasy-wise with the loss of Dak Prescott and that horrific ankle injury. Um, Andy Dalton, the Red Rocket, isn't necessarily the worst uh, quarterback to have as a backup. The Red Rocket or the Red Rifle? The Red Rifle, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Um, but there there are a couple of things about him that I just looked up to, to set it together. Uh, first, he he's just you know a mediocre average depth of target over his career. We have enough data to know who Andy Dalton is as a quarterback, and he's a guy who doesn't really throw it past the sticks too often. He has an A dot seven point seven, which really puts him at about the middle of the bell curve in the NFL. Uh, and he also loves to target his slot receivers. Uh, he targeted his slot at a career rate of forty two percent of his targets. That is incredibly high. Um, so CD lamb owners, congratulations. Cause CD lamb's going to only get better off. Uh, unfortunately we saw him give Michael Gallup some pretty valuable targets in that game, but I just think they're going to be spotty and inconsistent to predict. Uh, more importantly, I think with a quarterback like Andy Dalton, who just doesn't have the same 500 passing yards in him, like Dak Prescott has, uh, <laughs> that Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup are going to be battling for those. I still think Amari Cooper is probably the better route runner, probably the better player. Uh, Michael Gallup's probably going to be running a lot more go routes in this offense, and it just makes it all more difficult to know when to start him and then, more importantly, uh, just to get him on those right games. So I would trade him away at this point. He's still a player that has value. It's just going to be very hard to predict. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I'd say about about Dalton, you said that, (laughs) 
that uh, Andy Dalton, to be clear. Um, what I would say is it, you said that, um, you know, Lamb is going to get the, the slot targets. He targets the slot a lot, but it's going to be inconsistent for those other guys. I think it's just going to be an inconsistent roller coaster up and down, up and down experience for that entire offense, just because that's what it's been for Andy Dalton, literally his whole career. I mean, that, you know, Asked those poor Bengals fans who got to to ride that roller coaster for however long, ten years. Um, the issue is, I'm going to go keep here, and the issue is without Dak, I don't think there's any chance you're getting what he could possibly be worth in a trade. I, I think it's just even though he had a decent game and he's been okay two of the last three, um, I just I don't think you're going to get good value at this point. I know Andy Dalton is okay. Obviously, Dak is much, much better, but I think Dalton is okay, and all of those guys are going to still have their moments. They just might be less frequent and less explosive. And like I mentioned, Gallup has been very frustrating this year. He's disappeared for large portions of games. You had the game, was it against the – no, the Browns. It was against the Browns where like he basically was invisible the entire game, and they were throwing the ball every play. And he didn't do anything until the fourth quarter again. Well, it's interesting he came into an offense with Amari Cooper because him and Amari do the same thing, and it's the most frustrating thing for fantasy owners where they just disappear for long stretches of games where they they just seem like they're not giving it their total effort. Uh, Now, just a little bit of Andy Dalton love. I will say he spent his entire career with Hugh Jackson, a career 8-8 and coach who would coach you to mediocrity, uh, and he got one year of Zach Taylor who's still – a pretty unproven commodity. Uh, mm-hmm. But last year with, you know, a pretty unsubstantiated wide receiving core and weapons on that offense, he didn't, he did have a couple of 300 yard games, he even had a 400 yard game to end the season against Miami. Um, so maybe Mike McCarthy is the, the, the one who unlocks the gun safe and lets the red rifle really, really <laughs> shoot off on the field. Uh, but th- there is still some excitement in this offense. They're still st- one of the most talented skill wise uh, and they're going to put up points because they have to, because mm-hmm. their defense is absolutely horrific. So if you keep Michael Gallup, uh, I'm definitely, out of all three of these options, I'm definitely not going to cut the guy. I think that it's still an incredibly valuable position, especially if you need a bye week starter. He could be the guy who you put in your lineup, and he just magically gets you 24 points on a couple of long long go touchdowns. Mm-hmm. The the thing about Gallup that you have to hang on to is number one, like I said, even though it's been very frustrating, he's still been productive. He's wide receiver 29 in, in half point PPR. So still a top 30 guy. And that's with Cooper and lamb being 13th and 12th um, respectively with, with those two guys. And I obviously three top 30 guys, and especially two of them being thir- you know, top 15 guys, I don't think that's sustaining under Andy Dalton. But what I do think is that I think that it's going to kind of cycle a-, a little bit throughout the season, maybe lean more towards Gallup in some games. And I think what I would be doing is honestly waiting for Gallup to have another big game and then maybe seeing what, what I can do there. I just don't think now is, is the time when you're going to be able to get what you want. Um, for a guy that, even though he's frustrating, he he's nice to have on your team. That if you need that high upside flex, you can throw him in there. Yeah, and that and really at the end of the day, that would probably be my trade proposition to somebody. Um, but I agree that his value is probably at a low here due to the Dak Prescott injury, and uh, a, a wise owner probably isn't going to trade him for as much as he's worth at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Gallup for your Devin Singletary, Dalton? No. <laughs> Running backs are more valuable. 
Uh, I don't know if I want Singletary after what happened the other night. Um, okay, on, on to one of your guys, um, Zach Ertz. Talk about a brutal last two games. Five receptions for 15 yards the last two games. That's with no Dallas Goddard. Um, Deshaun Jackson, who knows how often he's played or not. I don't think he's hardly played the last two weeks, if at all. Um, that is also no Jalen Rager. And yet you have a rookie, Travis Fulgham, coming in and, and putting up all the production while Ertz has basically been a zero and he's gotten the targets. It's just the receptions and yards have not been there. Um, Dalton, what what are we doing with, with a guy who was a top four or five round pick in about every format? We're cutting him. Uh, here's the thing. I couldn't have dreamed up a better situation for Zach Ertz to get targets. Uh, there's nobody on this offense. Uh, a guy named Travis Fulgham is the one catching the passes. Travis Fulgham's a career journeyman. Uh, he's looked good to starts, but either he's, a, he's the one that caught the pass against the Niners where I wasn't watching the game, but got the alert. And I sent you and Johnny a message. Like I literally don't know who this guy is that just caught that touchdown from Carson Wentz. His last name sounds like the obscure D1 team, the overall one seed plays in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they he he sounds like the team that Old Dominion plays in like the conference semifinals exactly. of, of its conference tournament. But uh, Zach Ertz has really had everything going his way except for his ability to make plays. He looks like a worse Jason Witten on the field right now, except he's not 29 <laughs> years old. Uh, at the start of the season, I know the contract issue, a lot of people thought that it was uh, not the wisest move for the Eagles to be moving on from Zach Ertz, but it looks like the Eagles had the writing on the wall. Uh, his PFF career receiving grade has gone down every year since he's been in the league. I think, honestly, he's better off in this offense when they get all their weapons back. I, I will say that much. Uh, his target share is going to go down. He's going to have some spotty performances, but the defenses are absolutely keying in on him. This is from Pro Football Focuses. Uh, Zach Ertz in games played the last three games has had double linebacker coverage on his side of the field in all but 6% of his snaps. So they're putting two linebackers on him. He, we, we know who Zach Ertz is. He's a clean route runner who is not a, an athlete. So if you have two linebackers, he's not going to break away. He's looking to get in a lucky space where the zone's open, but there are so few weapons on the field and Carson Wentz has been so bad that neither A, Carson Wentz can throw him open or B, Zach Ertz can't get himself open. And then this week they get an absolute nightmare of a matchup in the Baltimore Ravens who have just held passing offenses uh, to an all-time low. The only positives you can find for him is that before his bye week, he plays the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. And if he doesn't smash in those spots, he's a guy you just, you got to, quit with the name value and you got to drop them for somebody else. Yeah. And see that that's why I, I actually have trade down for Zach Ertz. And that's because I think that the giants are actually okay, but they're not good. They're okay on defense. The Cowboys, we know what they are. They've given up big games to basically anybody who, who, who wants to have a game against them basically. So you can kind of sell that, you know, Hey, he still hasn't even played the Cowboys yet. He's got the Cowboys two times this year. And also with Zach Ertz, I feel like that name value is still enough to get you back eh, 50 cents, 60 cents on the dollar, what you paid for him in a draft. And at this point, I think I would take that um, for Ertz. I, I have all the concerns that, that you do. It's funny. I actually grabbed these two things from an, an ESPN article that came out a couple of days ago. And the article is basically 
what's wrong what's wrong with Zach Ertz because it's been it's been that bad um it, it makes an interesting point it because at, at 30 years old you kind of worry that maybe he's just on the wrong side of his career at this point but there's been no notable drop off in his speed the article notes consistently tops out at just shy of 18 miles per hour which they say is very normal for Zach Ertz what he's pretty much been um that's per NFL next gen stats um, his separation on his routes is still the same 2.79 yards on average when the ball arrives that's compared to 2.7 last year. So it's actually slightly better. Um, so it's kind of hard to put your finger on what's going on really, but basically for the season, he's averaging four catches and 29 yards per game. I mean, that's just, that's just not going to get it done. He has one touchdown total on the season and the real killers are, he is down in yards per reception 7.3 compared to 10.8 um the year before and catch percentage is the alarming one 57 percent compared to 68 percent the year before so i do have some major concerns but i think you can sell the matchups and the name and get 50 60 cents on the dollar and be relieved that you don't have to deal with that headache anymore yeah and i also i you know i do want to point out that there are some real concerns that carson Wentz just might not be good mm -hmm. um Carson Wentz is graded as one of the bottom 24 quarterbacks in the league, and that offensive line's not coming back this season. Lane Johnson is seeking a second medical opinion, trying to play. I don't know if I really, uh, you know, as a fan, want to see somebody playing through what he's trying to do with that neck mm -hmm. issue. Um, but I believe, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, uh, every player on their offensive line is either a backup or playing a position they don't normally play. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the heralded offensive line isn't there. And it's no, it's the, it is the opposite of there. It is bad. And it's resulting in more tight end blocking formations where Zach Ertz is playing that as well. Overall, it's just an ugly, ugly offense uh, outside of Miles Sanders and I guess Travis Fulgham. There's nobody in that offense who's like a, an exciting start week to week. I'll just say um, that situation hasn't quite turned out as great as what everybody all thought for Miles Sanders. Just going to throw that out there. You see that seventy-five yard touchdown? I did. It was I is extremely lucky play. Good run by him. I don't know how in the world the Steelers let that happen on third and ten. That was like the only thing that kept that game from being like a three touchdown game. That that game was really teetering at that point. Yeah, Miles Sanders is definitely uh, the best player on that team. Oh, he's the best player on the offense right now for sure. I'm just uh, I'm doing a little a little gloating because everybody thought that situation was going to be so great, and I always say oh, we're not 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 so sure. We we don't really know for a lot of teams until they play. So just uh, a little a little food for thought, something to keep in mind um, as we move on to next season. But another guy who again, this guy's been frustrating. But given where you drafted him, you're probably not in a position where you have to make too many difficult decisions on this guy yet. But Antonio Gibson, he's had a pretty good season. He's got, you know, pretty much double-digit carries most games. I think it's been nine or more, like the last three games. But he's been outsnapped by J.D. McKissick this year, 160 to 147. So they just have not fully unleashed the guy. The Washington football team um, has not yet. So, Dalton, what are, what are we doing with Antonio Gibson? Uh, I'm trading Antonio Gibson, and this is not uh, an expose on his skill set because I think he's actually very talented, and he's a guy who came to the NFL having not played a lot of running back at Memphis. Um, and the, the reason is the Washington football team somehow magically is trending downward offensively after their already poor offensive start. Uh, first, I want to say off the, off the rip, 
it's very exciting to see Alex Smith play a single stab of football again. I will say Alex Smith did not look like the old Alex Smith. He well, did not. Look well, like actually, he he did because he was McKissick had like a million receptions, and I think we all know why. Let me rephrase. He did not look like the the Alex Smith that the Chiefs had. He looked like the <laughs> Alex Smith prior to the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that's uh, like the most. I think I went like into full concerned mom mode the entire time he was in the game. I was so terrified watching Aaron Donald just rip through his offensive line every play. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think having Kyle Allen or Alex Smith back there doesn't help the value of Antonio Gibson. I, I still think. You know, the best quarterback in this offense is Dwayne Haskins, although now he's not even showing up to practice because he's sick. So there's a weird chronicle going on there, starting to look a lot akin to Trent Williams, like he wants out of that. So we're probably not going to see a lot of Dwayne Haskins the rest of the season. Uh, The offensive line is just horribly bad in the run blocking game. Brandon Thorne for established the run has their offensive line ranked at 30 out of 32 NFL teams in run blocking. And then like you said, uh, to start this off, I don't get it, but 35 year old JD McKissick is still out snapping him. Uh, that's just not a good look. And we want to see more targets for Antonio Gibson. If Antonio Gibson was a starting back in this offense, I would feel happy uh, with the target share he would be getting from Alex Smith and or Kyle Allen, but he's just not getting that. And then if hold on, hold on. How old did you say JD McKissick was? He's 35, isn't he? He is 27, good man. Don't add eight oh, years on to his life. I apologize to JD McKissick. <laughs> uh, 20, 26, 25, 27-year-old JD 27. McKissick. Uh he's still he's never been a guy who Yes, I he's still know. a journeyman. He's yeah. still a journeyman. He's cool. just not old and decrepit, like Dalton said. He's just decrepit. Um but <laughs> There's just not a lot uh, trending positively for this offense. Uh, even Terry McLaurin last week, was, who I thought might have been matchup proof after we did the Ravens, was impacted by how bad the offense looked last week. Uh, so I would trade away Antonio Gibson. He's still a top 24 running back, and I still think there are some values to be out there to be had. You might be able to get a package deal for Miles Gaskin and someone else, and I think Miles Gaskin and him have similar ceilings uh, right now. Um, what I'd say about Terry McLaurin is – Obviously, the offensive line is bad, and that is truly exacerbated by playing the Rams and Aaron Donald. That might be the toughest matchup they play the rest of the way. And also, the combination of that with Alex Smith being the quarterback a lot of the game is he's just not going to, when he gets pressure, he's just not, he's not going to let it rip. I mean, we, he's just going to dump it down, and that doesn't really uh, help McClure. And so I think that can kind of be explained away a little bit um, with how that game went. But on Antonio Gibson, I, I'm keep here again as well. And like we've said, they just really haven't handed the reins over to him yet. I still do think at some point they will. I mean, it's only week five. He is just a rookie. Um, A lot of times veteran coaches like to kind of ease rookies into that kind of thing because you would expect out of anything, the pass catching would be what what Gibson is really getting involved in. And it's been fine. Like he has 17 targets, but um, obviously that's compared to 25 for McKissick, who's like fourth in the NFL um, for a running back in targets. So I do expect him to eventually start out-targeting McKissick at some point. And I think if he does that, there's still a little bit of upside. Because, yeah, you said it. The offensive line is so bad. The offense is so bad. I don't think the rushing upside is necessarily there to be like a top 15 back. But I do think if that receiving part gets unlocked a little bit, that um, he could make good on them and, and turn himself into – an even more productive player. And I think you might just be selling him just before that happens. If you do at this point. So I'm a keep 
Um, I mentioned the 17 targets. Actually, 10 of those are in the last two weeks, and he's running the most routes, or at least he did last week. I don't know about this past Sunday. He ran the most routes of any of those running backs. Um, and obviously, he had four for 82. Um, two weeks ago, five for 24 last week. When you're getting the short dump downs, the yardage is going to fluctuate a little bit depending on if you can break off the big plays. He is the fifth highest graded rookie across the board, any position, by PFF. So he's been good this season. And if he can get more passing game work, I think that value can can go up. And then obviously, you mentioned earlier with Ertz and the Giants and Dallas. Well, that is Antonio Gibson's next two matchups, actually, too. Um, Giants, Dallas, and then by. So I think there's a chance in that bye week, maybe coming off of that bye week, he's worth a lot more than he is right now. And I don't really think the quarterback situation changes things much. I think they're all pretty equally not good in that situation. The thing I'll say about Kyle Allen is he did at least sustain DJ Moore and CMC last year. So I'm not saying that that is going to happen, obviously, but... I think that they can they can at least still be somewhat productive uh, the rest of the way give a, against a pretty weak schedule you'd have to imagine in that division. Well, it's interesting you you just gave that he sustained DJ Moore and uh, Christian McCaffrey last season because I was looking this up earlier and Jason Lockenforia uh, for CBS has a tweet out there that outside of uh, five games for DJ Moore. Uh, Kyle Allen was unable to produce a top 12 performance for any of his players except for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I, I don't think Kyle Allen's it. I do. Oh, I, I don't think he's it either. But I, I'm just saying, like, if he starts, I don't think it's just, I, I don't think they're like totally worse off than if those other two guys do either. Yeah, I do still think the best for fantasy value in this offense is Dwayne Haskins. At least he's uh, an effective distributor of the ball. Um, makes a few more risky plays, uh, but we'll see what the you know what comes out with Ron Rivera wanting to run his offense in his way. Uh, the hope would be, like you said, that McKissick is phased out and that Gibson gets the full workload. So you said how many how many games was DJ Moore top top twelve last year with Kyle Allen? Five. So it was in in thirteen games, five out of thirteen. That's that's not like terrible. That I mean, that's not great. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think that's that's like terrible. And that was kind of DJ Moore's breakout breakout season. So he hadn't really established himself as, as that yet. I will say it's better than he's done this year so far. Well, that's definitely true as well. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe Kyle Allen's an asset. Who knows? <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think that's where I'm going with that, but already I've, I think we've uh, got all we can out of the Washington football team and Antonio Gibson there. Now time for some regression candidates. We still don't have any Lev Bell news. Please, Lev Bell, sign somewhere so you don't do it right after this podcast because that will be annoying. Um, Okay, so for these regression candidates, uh, like I said, these are basically, I think we each chose three, right, Dalton? You have three? Yes, sir. All right, we've got three guys who basically they've been off to a good start. We don't see it as sustainable. We're not saying that these guys are going to just suddenly turn into guys you're going to bench but just that we don't think that whatever they're doing right now is going to be what they're doing for the entire season i'll let you start us off dalton i think we probably have one of the same three at least i think we probably two of the same three but i'm about 100 percent sure our first guy we both agree on and it's chris carson uh no actually i only have oh. chris carson on my list so chris carson is somebody i have uh, prime regression candidate he's right now he's the running back five in the nfl in uh full ppr he has six touchdowns he has a touchdown every game 
but he has a snap percent of 60% and he's doing an Aaron Jones impression, but he's not an Aaron Jones player. Uh, and to get into that, he has two touchdowns in the receiving game, although he's only played 28% of the receiving downs for the Seattle Seahawks. He's playing in an offense that's consistently playing behind and not playing him when they're behind. When they are within seven points, Chris Carson has seen the field 80% of the time. This is from PFF. When they are not within seven points, uh, Chris Carson has seen the field 40% of the time for DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, who have seen a lot more of the passing downs. So you add those factors together, uh, and I think that Seattle's Defense is going to get attacked more as we go forward. Uh, they're allowing like the third most yards on a play, and they are allowing the first most yards in the NFL to wide receivers by a large margin. Uh, so Chris Carson's going to see less opportunities. Uh, secondly, their run game hasn't been anything spectacular. Uh, and in the red zone, they've so far opted to use Chris Carson over Russell Wilson. I think if any defense cues into Chris Carson, uh, what now appears to be the smart coaching staff in Seattle is going to pivot off of using their running back and using their uh, current MVP uh, play caller and Russell Wilson to score those touchdowns. They also have two wide receivers who have absolutely blown away the NFL. Uh, so with all of those things together, I don't see Chris Carson continuing on his touchdown train. I don't think he's as talented a receiver as Aaron Jones, where Aaron Jones can help make up for that touchdown regression as we're seeing this year. And as a rusher, uh, Chris Carson may be a little above average, but this isn't a team that particularly can because their defense or wants to, as they've played this year, run the ball. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess what I'll say is I would expect the receiving um, touchdowns to, to obviously he has three receiving touchdowns um, so far this season, but only three rushing touchdowns. And I would expect that to kind of tilt towards the rushing and and the receiving to mostly go away, uh, at least as far as touchdowns. He might have a couple more, but I think he's still got some more rushing touchdowns in him. that will kind of help help balance that out. And he's he's got at least 14 carries in three games. He's had two games with single digits. The one game, the first game of the season, which was a little bit weird. And then um, against Minnesota the other night, you mentioned they were playing from behind pretty much that whole game. He does still, in, in, in that game, have six receptions. So you do at least like that. I, I think he is a fine regression candidate, though, for sure. Um, from a top six back to probably more like a top 12 back um, is probably what my feeling would be. Yeah, and it it just is worrisome. Uh, you know, a guy who isn't post, he's posting a snap share in the 50s. Um, and as somebody who was profiled as a good rusher, to have two games sub eight or eight or lower attempts is very concerning. And, you, you know, you mentioned the Minnesota game, but just to kind of hit on that, you had eight rushes for 52 yards. Mm -hmm. that, that's just not going to happen in most games. Uh, so well, my he broke, concern, off, he, he, he broke off the big touchdown where who who was it? I don't remember who it was in the Vikings defense like was ha, had him like and Carson just basically ran through. He was trying to like like arm tackle and slam him on the ground. It's like, dude, this running back is bigger than you. That's probably not going to work. And it didn't. Carson broke that off for probably like a 35 yard touchdown. So that was most of the production right there. Exactly. And I would just think there are some single digit games coming for him. Uh you know, he has the one nine game and a half point PPR, but I do think his overall temps uh, and his usage don't really add up with his you know, top five running back status at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, OK, well, I'm going to change up my order then on on how, how I'm going to present these guys. We'll stick with the Seahawks. Actually, I have Russell Wilson um, 
uh, as a regression candidate. And this is me saying that he might go from the number one quarterback to like a top four or five quarterback. Basically, um, what I'm saying is what he's doing right now is crazy and he might still have a career year, but I don't think it's going to be quite as good as it is right now. Um, and on a side note, if someone's going to pay you like it's going to be this good all year, I would consider um, taking him up on that. Through five games, the guy has just over 1,500 passing yards and 19 touchdowns. He's the number one player in fantasy. He has 150 points. His completion percentage, 73%, by far a career best. Um, his most throwing touchdowns in a season is 35. He is currently on pace for something like 61 um, passing touchdowns. And, uh, and obviously, we know that's not going to continue. Um, his touchdown percentage is 11.2%. Um, even that has regressed from the 14% it was through three weeks. So it's gone down a little bit. But still, 11.2% is still unsustainable. His career high is 8.2, which is crazy high already. Um, for context, Mahomes, when he threw 50 touchdowns, 8.6%. Peyton Manning in his 55 touchdown season, 8.3%. So I'd expect Russell Wilson to, to drop somewhere in that range for the touchdowns. That's number one. I don't think he's throwing for 4,800 yards and 60 touchdowns, 61 touchdowns. That's what he is currently on pace for. Um, last year, I just want to point this out, weeks two through six, that's a five-game sample size, 139 fantasy points. That's the number one player in fantasy. That was close to 1,300 passing yards and 12 touchdowns. So and then the year before that, he had a super hot stretch as well, where he was the number one player in fantasy. So even though this one feels a little different, it's not like we haven't seen Russ get super hot and be the top player in fantasy before. Um, and people will say, you know, oh well, they're they're letting Russ cook. They're throwing the ball more. They're they're throwing the ball more in neutral game situations, but they're not really throwing the ball more actually. Last year, they were attempting 32.25 passes per game. This year, 33.8. So he's basically getting not quite two attempts more per game. Um, Dalton, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this because you were a little surprised when I said the name. Well, I was and then I wasn't. Let me first say uh, I don't have the analytic mind of some of the people I follow on Twitter, but there was a pretty long debate that Russell Wilson might be just above average. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't either, um, but- But just interesting to say that they were digging into some of his, uh, you know, more advanced stats. Uh, And one that I had to look up because I remember it. Excuse me for the acronyms because I don't remember what they mean. But it's called PACER, P-A-C-R, which is a a stat developed by Frisco Josh, Josh Hersmeyer on Twitter. Uh, And basically what it is, is it, it states whether or not how many of the air yards your quarterback is getting correlate into actual yards and Russell Wilson right now is blowing his bottle out of the water he's never seen a quarterback with a higher uh, PACR which means that a lot of the long balls Russell Wilson is throwing are connecting now we know Russell Wilson is a prolific deep thrower we know he's very good at that well and obviously we that- DK Metcalf has gotten a lot better too yeah helped. and we know his receivers are good at it uh with that being said that is an area that is bound to regress uh the interesting thing I, I listened to this on uh Eric Eager's podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, Russell Wilson has faced one of the lowest percentages of single high safeties in the NFL 
that has to change. If you're any smart defensive minded coach, you're not going to be running one safety in the backfield when they're running go routes with two wide receivers who are talented at beating press coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, So those two things are bound to change. Uh, You know, we've seen it with other quarterbacks where it's very hard to prevent a good deep throwing quarterback, i.e. Mahomes. However, there are things you can do to prevent that. Um, And more importantly, he I believe he's off to a a better start than Patrick Mahomes had his his year. Right. Well, touchdown wise. uh, Yes, he he had broke. He broke the record that Mahomes set for most touchdowns like through four games. Um, I don't know what way is at at this point, but. Yardage wise, he's on pace for about 4,800. I don't know what Mahomes was on pace through five weeks, but he's basically right there. We'll just put it that way. But I will say it is surprising that he hasn't had a 400 yard game despite his start. Um, And that is another area where if you're looking for points to regression, I would agree with you. Uh, If he's not throwing for 400 yards, but he's throwing for five touchdowns, uh, those are some really good situations he's getting in. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as your short yarded situations and having to drive down the field. Um, so overall, I would probably agree. And then mm-hmm. his rushing stats are still pretty good. I mean, he even had the 58 yard game uh, and I could see those getting dialed back just a bit. Yeah. Cause his, his rushing has been weird the last, you know, three, four years. It's really, he picks his spots as far as that goes. Passing air conversion ratio, by the way, is what that stands for. I looked that up the, the pacer stat that you were citing um, to his yard, to the yardage point. Um, what he's on pace for right now, 4,800, really good. Not like he can't do it. Um, but if he does, that's like 800 yards higher than his previous career high. It's, it's probably going to be a career high, but probably not quite that much, I guess is what I'd say. And I'm not saying this is going to happen this year, but last year I mentioned, you know, that great stretch weeks two through six, and you could kind of, you know, you could do weeks three through seven and and four through eight and kind of get similar numbers for him. So basically the first half of the season, he was great last year. Weeks 10 through 16, he was 24th at the position in fantasy points. So I'm not saying that's happening, but we have seen him be amazing and then be kind of eh, a lot in the same season. So if you can get somebody, here's what I'll say. If you can trade Russell Wilson for Patrick Mahomes, and then upgrade a skill position like slightly while doing so. Cause I think you could do that right now because of how great Russell has been, even maybe for a Lamar Jackson. I, I think I would do that. Yeah, I would definitely do that. Uh, maybe not for Lamar Jackson. I have some concerns about his passing, but definitely for Mahomes, not for Josh Allen. Um, <laughs> The, the last thing I'll say on Russell Wilson, I had to look this up too. Brandon Thorne right now has them as a top five uh, pass blocking offensive line, which is very strange. Uh, they're skill wise. They don't have the skill players to be that good. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is a one, maybe they haven't been playing as many pressures, uh, good defenders and they do get Aaron Donald twice. And two, um, I think Russell Wilson might be bailing them out of some bad situations where he otherwise would be considered a pressure and he's just able to evade it. Um, and those just aren't sticky things that, that stay long-term. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would look to that, that offensive line to turn down a little bit, you know, maybe top 12 in the NFL. Um, but all of those things don't work for Russ's favor. And I still think a lot of people think this Seahawks five and O team is at least a little fool's gold. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying Russ is going to be anything worse than a top four quarterback this year, but if someone is going to pay you like it's going to be this good all season, I think you jump on that. Dalton, who's your next guy? Um, I've talked about this guy before. Uh, and again, this isn't 
uh, indictment of the player. It is just the type of offense he is now playing in, and it is Mike Evans. Okay, he's my number one guy. He's the guy that I'm like, I know we have to both have. It makes absolutely no sense what is going on. He scored a touchdown in every game. There are games where he's gotten two targets and two touchdowns and one one receiving yard. Uh, those stats aren't sticky at all. Uh, what is it, six touchdowns through five games? I believe. Yeah, and I, I actually, um, as I was going through his game log, I had the thought to myself, has anybody in the entire NFL, including running backs, scored more often from the one or two yard line. I don't think a receiver is going to lead the league in touchdowns from inside the five very often. I'll put it that way. Well, and the, the stats don't back up Mike Evans doing what he's doing either. Uh, he has a career low in average depth of target. Uh, despite the fact that Brady's like second in the league in deep passes, uh, yeah, which is his, his, his dot is at nine right now for those yeah. curious. And that's the lowest that Mike Evans has ever played with. We know Mike Evans is a good go up and grab the ball. I'll, I'll admit Mike Evans has played a little injured here, um, but it should be even Real more. Quick, before you, but, but before you get too far away from that, his previous two seasons, his a dot was 15.6 and 15.1. So just to show you nine is a pretty big drop for him. Yeah. And now, um, I don't think the return is this week, but the return for Chris Godwin is imminent, which has been an absolute destruction of Mike Evans' target share. Uh, with Chris Godwin in the lineup, he gets four targets. Without, he has 10, 8, and 9. Uh, and even with those target shares, Mike Evans hasn't really turned them into spectacular performances, uh, especially last week in Chicago where he only had 12 points mm -hmm. on 10 targets. So, yeah, this is what I have in bold right now. His two games with Chris Goblin in the lineup, and we know Goblin left both those games slightly early. It was like mid-fourth quarter for both, but still left both early. Or maybe the Broncos game was third quarter, regardless. Um, three receptions, four yards, three touchdowns. How is that a real stat line? Three receptions, four yards, three touchdowns in two games. Um, Chris got, and that's on eight targets. Chris Goblin in those same two games um, that he's left early both times, 11 receptions, 143 yards, one touchdown on 13 targets. I think it's pretty clear when both those guys are on the field who Brady's favorite target is um, in all situations except inside the five. And I'd also point out one of those touchdowns against the Saints on the one-yard line was after Goblin um, got hurt. So there, there there was that too. But I just, my God, three receptions, four yards, three touchdowns. How is that possible? Yeah, and it's just not sustainable. It's, it's just not going to keep up. Uh, Tom Brady is making guys like Scotty Miller seem fantasy relevant because of how he's spreading the ball about in this offense. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't see a situation... It, Mike Evans is on pace to finish the, the year with almost 20 touchdowns, which is absurd. <laughs> I mean, and he's also on pace for a, just under 900 yards, about 867 is what he's on pace for, which would be his first year under a thousand receiving yards too, mm -hmm. which just hints more that this shouldn't be a career year fantasy wise. Like it's been so far. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. And as soon as I went through this, I was like, there's no chance Dalton doesn't also have Mike Evans on here because this is like the most obvious regression candidate i think in in the entire in the entire nfl i just can't i can't get over his stat line in two games with chris goblin in the lineup and you said it he's coming back soon it could be this week i mean he's been kind of doing some light work in practice if he's back this week um if not it'll definitely be next week it seems like so yeah he will be coming back at some point pretty soon yeah and i think that's about all we have to say mike evans was such an easy snatch for this one who's your mm -hmm. third or if we got all three years 
Nope, we we were missing my last one, and my last one is James Robinson. Um, and it's not that necessarily he's doing anything statistically where you look at it and it's like, oh, his touchdowns are crazy, or oh, like his yards uh, per touch are crazy. That's not going to last. It's not really even that. It's just that you know he's the RB eight right now in in half point per reception. I'm just not buying into that. I'm not buying into that. Um, that he's that caliber of player. And that Jacksonville is that caliber of offense to sustain a top 10 um, running back, unless that running back is a really, really, really good player, quite frankly, is what it comes down to. He's just not in the tier athletically of, of some of those top, top running backs. He's pretty good. He's been pretty good. And the volume has been pretty good, too. You know, 13 to 17 carries. He gets a couple of receptions at least every game. I just think he's a high volume RB2 who has kind of a volatile floor and ceiling every week uh depending on how the game script goes uh uh for jacksonville first real interesting tidbit uh three of the four players we've mentioned have been on eli's roster um (laughs) secondly uh i agree with you that james robinson has kind of been a really strange development this fantasy season i think part of it he was the like the fourth string back like august 1st a part of it is that a lot of the top running backs haven't had spectacular performances despite the volume. I do mm-hmm. want to say if you're a James Robinson owner right now, like pounding your fist down that we're absolutely absurd for saying this. Uh, his playoff matchups are Tennessee, Baltimore, and Chicago, which are some of the best run defenses in the NFL. So you should definitely be thanking us for mentioning that, and you should be trading him away <laughs> at the value he has right now uh, because I think you can get a really good uh, back in return. I think you could make the case for trading Jonathan Taylor for James Robinson for somebody at this point in the season. Well, here, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, uh, Shane Jackson, who is uh, a friend of the show, one of the trades he asked me about, I don't remember the whole trade, but James Robinson was a piece in a trade that netted him Aaron Jones. So like he, he, he plus a receiver can get you that caliber of guy. And the value is definitely there. And I don't think, uh, this week he plays an atrocious Detroit Lions run defense. I think they're 30th in the NFL in run defense. So there's another opportunity for him to have a good game. But overall, I agree with Evan. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars offense isn't good. They've gotten by lately. I do think they're, especially as we hit later into the season where more teams are making a playoff push, they're going to get hit a little harder and more in the mouth, and they're not a, they're not ready for that. And James Robinson still loses some of his receiving work to Chris Thompson. So Mm -hmm. I don't buy the fact that James Robinson is going to finish as a top 12 running back. I can see him finishing as a top 24, but part of that's uh, definitely bolstered by that week three performance at Miami where he had like 28 fantasy points. Yeah. And, and yeah, I I agree that I I see him more as an RB two. I think he's perfectly fine to have as the RB two on your team, but if you're expecting him to be an RB one, a top 10, top 12 guy, the rest of the way, I just think you're going to be disappointed um, and I already hit on this, but everybody always talks about the importance of having a high scoring offense for these backs. And so you worry with a guy like James Robinson, who I think everybody can agree. He's a nice story. He's a fine. He's a, he's a pretty good player. He's, he's a nice player, but he's just not, he's not a Joe Mixon. He's not a Christian McCaffrey. He's not like a guy of that caliber who, despite his offense can pound his way to a top 10 fantasy football season yeah and that's really what it is uh maybe james robinson's actually a good running back uh i'm just looking at his pff grade of it and he's not ranked inside the top 12 uh rushing wise or receiving rise uh 
And more importantly, and we've touched on this before, Gardner Minshew likes to scramble. It hurts the value of your running back. There are just a lot of things running in the ne- the other direction, and James Robinson seems to be running upstream, and you just don't know how long that continues. Mm-hmm. All right, so who's your third guy? This one uh, was tough, uh, but I ended up going with Calvin Ridley. Mm. Uh, I, I even typed down a Todd Gurley stat because that's where I thought you were going. I was ready to defend him. But no, I, I actually think Todd Gurley's value might go up with Raheem Morris, just as an aside to that. Um, but here's why. I don't think Calvin Ridley is as good as he is performing. Let me start that off with the only week, this is according to QB Sosa, who does the QB or does the wide receiver cornerback matchups for pro football focus. He has not faced the number one corner in any offense except for one week. That week was when they played Green Bay, where he had a goose egg. Now, to be fair, he was playing hurt. I know, and I'm, I'll be fair there. And he had his lowest snap share of the season at 63%, but he also had five targets and hauled in zero of them. Um, additionally, his conversion rate on catches is 32nd in the NFL. What is bolstering him is that he's had double-digit targets in all but one game. So he's not even catching all the balls that are thrown his way. He's not seeing wide receiver one matchups. Uh, maybe that changes as a result of him looking to have usurped Julio Jones. I still think defensive coordinators are wise to who the better wide receiver is, at least skill-wise, which it is Julio. Um, but more importantly, there is an unsustainable target share that him and Julio are attracting in this offense. Uh, both of them are over 25%. Um, but at the same time, Matt Ryan is on pace to lead the league in attempts. So you put all of those together and you have to have everything continue to go the Falcons way. And they're taking on an interim head coach who's already said he wants to make some changes to the offense. And he's not an offensive-minded coach. So they're going to try to change the the path they're working on when it comes to being a defensive-minded team and maybe slowing the game down. And that's where I think that Todd Gurley's value comes in, like I said at the start off of this. Do I think he's not going to finish as a top you know, 20 wide receiver? No, he probably still finishes in the top 12. But even with a goose egg, he's the wide receiver three in the NFL. Yeah, that's, I was gonna, that, that's what I was going to say. He's the wide receiver three right now with, with a zero, and he's only four points behind wide receiver one. Yeah, uh, and I just don't think that's sustainable. I don't think, you know... 20, you know, 17 and 14 and 28 point outings should be consistent for the way things are trending for him. I still think he's a good wide receiver, but I don't think he's going to finish, you know, top five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and on that Todd Gurley point, he does have a, a pretty nice schedule that started off with the Panthers last week, he got the Vikings this week, got the Panthers again sometime pretty soon. So a ni- nice little stretch of games for him. Um, on Calvin Ridley, I think kind of what we've seen um, these last few weeks is he's still not quite there yet as a guy who can be or should be the one as the guy who like dry is the driving force of the offense like Julio Jones. And so basically what that tells you and is when Julio is back and he's full strength, I expect him to go back to being the guy who gets the most most volume has the most points. I think he's still easily the best receiver on that team. And so just that alone on top of you know, maybe the volume not being sustainable. He has a lot of touchdowns. On, on top of any of that, it, it's just what it comes down to. The bottom line is Julio is going to come back. He's still the best player on that team. Um, I expect him to be the better of those two guys going forward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't have much left to say, but I do think that the change at head coach is a net negative. 
they're they're just not going to be trying to win games as much as they are going to be trying to make the games look competitive so Raheem Morris can get a, a DC job somewhere else and that him and Dirk Cutter can make sure they keep their coaching careers going. We've seen this sort of coaching carousel occur before when an interim coach hangs up, hangs around they know they're not getting the job what they're really doing is they're coaching for a position somewhere else and so he's going to make the games look competitive and he's going to do it however he can and that's mm-hmm. not always utilizing your player sometimes that's just you know slowing the game down to a rate where a 21 to 13 win looks closer than it really was mm-hmm. and just because i wanted to say that's pod girly stat if you argued against him todd Gurley is the fifth player in nfl history to have 75 touchdowns before his 27th birthday Emmett Smith, Jim Brown, Ladane Tomlinson, and Randy Moss. That is pretty elite company. Um, speaking of the Falcons, though, we will go to my my QB streamer of the week. Get that conversation jumped, jumped, uh, jump started. And I'm going the other way. Uh, I'm going to search out that Falcons defensive matchup again. Kirk Cousins, Vikings. I think have proven they're pretty decent. They've just lost to some good teams. Have had a tough schedule. Atlanta is definitely a matchup I am targeting this year if given the chance. He has two very good receivers. Um, don't know if Dalvin Cook is going to play, but I like Kirk Cousins this week because I like any quarterback that plays the Falcons, and he's got he's got the weapons that that he can have a productive game. Is it risky? Of course, playing Kirk Cousins is always risky, but at the end of the day, I, I think he he could be a top ten play this week. I swear, Evan and I don't discuss <laughs> uh, to any of our listeners. Uh, with that being said, my QB streamer of the week is also Kirk Cousins for all the aforementioned reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also not a primetime game, which is always something you'd love to see if you're a Kirk Cousins <laughs> fan. Um, yeah, the, I mean, Evan said it all. They are a very streamable funnel defense. They're going to give up points. And Kirk Cousins has uh, two very good wide receivers, one who is probably borderline elite. And at the end of the day, they're going to get points. He's going to get points. He also, uh, last week, he he made some few, few plays with his legs. So who knows? Maybe there's a Kirk Cousins touchdown on the, on the ground coming our way. He, do, he does do that every now and then. But I, I will say the... The close runner-up in this conversation was Fitzpatrick, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. He plays the Jets. You like that. You know, Preston Williams, what we talked about in the waiver column this week, finally looked like his 2019 pre-ACL self a little bit, even if it was against a brutal cornerback. Um, Devontae Parker's had a solid year. Um, so I think uh, Fitzpatrick is somebody else if you don't have the Cousins option or just don't trust him. Uh, Fitzpatrick is another guy you can look at. Yeah, and if you're looking for a, another replacement, just as a mention, I, the Cardinals aren't a good defense. They're not a great defense. Uh, and Andy Dalton, I still think, uh, has it to put up a pretty consistent QB mm-hmm. performance for you if you need a streamer this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then so my star of the week, I'm going to go back to that Dolphins game. Miles Gaskin, at least 11 points, three of the last four games in half-point PPR. Jordan Howard was finally a healthy scratch last week. Gaskin finally scored his first touchdown. He's had five catches three or more times this year, and he's basically he's finally turned into kind of a no-brainer lead guy there. At first, it was kind of like oh, like I like he's starting, but these other guys are still getting involved. Now it seems like it's he has full control with Brita being mixed in here and there. Howard has been relegated at this point, and then you have the Jets, who you know bless, bless their heart, their defense actually isn't bad. They're just put in so many terrible situations by their offense. They've allowed four running backs to gain at least 75 total yards. Um, and you have to figure that is because, number one, running backs probably run the ball 25 times a game against them because teams are ahead. 
and trying to grind away games. And number two, the Jets are also on the field just in an inordinate amount of plays every week on defense, it feels like. And they've yeah, also allowed I, eight touchdowns real quick, just eight eight rushing touchdowns to running backs this year. Yeah, I agree with all of that. If you were a loyal listener to the pod, Miles Gaskin was one of our first Rave Wire article of the year, and you should be an owner of him. Uh, Jordan Howard being out of that offense is a big plus. Uh, I will say that was an anomalous performance they had last week against the uh, uh, yeah. 49ers, but they play a team significantly worse. Uh Coaching-wise, skill-wise, and talent-wise, it's a pretty good matchup. Uh, my start of the week, I'm just going to keep pounding the Eagles' defense and their secondary is Hollywood Brown. Uh, last week, we saw Chase Claypool absolutely obliterate them over the top. Hollywood Brown is second in the NFL in air yards, and he's somewhere like 20th in the NFL in receiving yards. Those two those two just don't link up. When, when those two are going to make up is a game like this where the defense just is not good uh, and – He's just looking for his opportunity to get open and really break open a couple of big plays. And he did finally kind of get going a little bit last week. Yeah, and now we have a game where I really think that uh, Baltimore can pass the ball and they're going to be able to pass it pretty effectively. The the Eagles, uh, I think Chase Claypool's a good player, but I think Hollywood Brown is a much better player over the top. And Ben Roethlisberger is somewhere like 24th in the league when it comes to uh, deep ball accurate his deep ball accuracy rating is pretty low in the league at like 24 and Lamar Jackson while he doesn't have the greatest deep ball is definitely throwing a cleaner one than Big Ben which I think all of that just adds to Hollywood Brown uh, having a good or even a great game against a defense that's still missing a lot of their top corners and are playing guys from the streets mm-hmm. um sticking with that same game I said of the week Carson Wentz we, we kind of hinted at this earlier Dalton did when talking about Zach Ertz I know that Wins has produced the last two weeks against, well, we thought the Niners were a tough matchup. Maybe they're not. And the Steelers, who seem like they are a tough matchup, he did still produce in that game. He had a good game against the Bengals, fantasy-wise, at least, in week three. But if you actually watched those games and had to kind of live through the Carson Wentz experience, it looked ugly, and it frankly felt a little bit fluky um, that, that he came out there with good fancy performances in each game it felt like kind of one of those ticking time bombs where if you keep trusting him you keep starting him he's going to completely burn you one of these weeks if you start him this week I, I think it's the week that he's going to against a very good defense um Mahomes um that that guy in Kansas City uh, Patrick Mahomes is the only quarterback with multiple touchdown passes against the Ravens this year I'd expect a pretty stout defensive effort from the Ravens um probably for some turnovers and Wentz has been wildly inaccurate. Zach Ertz is struggling. This just doesn't feel like the game um, to start really any of your Eagles. If you can avoid it besides Miles Sanders, you probably can't avoid that. But you still don't feel great about it against this defense. No, and that that's probably a great set of the week. Uh, mine's in a similar vein, uh, but for different reasons. It's the 49er wide receiving core, uh, for, first and foremost. Jimmy Garoppolo gets benched at halftime against the Miami Dolphins. You hate to see that. Yeah, apparently uh, he's the starter this week. And yeah. apparently Bethard's saying if his ankle wasn't hurt that he would have made some of those throws. But I don't know, man. I watched Debo get nine targets and like he caught two of them and maybe only had a chance to catch like one of the other <laughs> nine targets. Yeah. It was really bad. Well, they led the they led the league last week in uncatchable passes. So that's not good. Uh, even George Kittle, who's a complete monster, couldn't get the game going for them. Uh, Brandon Ayuk 
didn't have any, you know, he he's supposed to be a yak king. He didn't have a major yak game. Uh, Debo Samuel, who's supposed to be the wide receiver one, uh, got the targets of a wide receiver one. Just they were very, very inaccurate. Uh, if it's just Jimmy Garoppolo's ankle, that's fine. But none of these guys are guys you're probably slotting in as your wide receiver one or two or even flex. So I would just avoid them in as many situations as possible because I don't know. Uh, if Kyle Shanahan is able to scheme around the number of injuries he's had. And Jimmy Garoppolo is just somebody who looks to be a system QB and is playing like a system QB who's not attuned to a system any longer. Uh, even before his injury, he wasn't looking great. Yeah, I, I would just say, yeah, it, those two guys, you can probably wait on them at this point. Maybe if you have Ayuki turn into a guy that you have been using the last couple of weeks, but especially with Debo Samuel. If you have him, you've probably been stashing him, and I would just keep holding on and, and waiting and wait wait for that offense to actually look like decent um, against a non-New York football team this year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, we put it off as long as we could. I still don't see any Le'Veon Bell news, so we're going to talk about it at the risk of this being outdated very quickly. But obviously, everybody knows, released by the Jets, Seemed like a pretty mutual thing if you looked at Le'Veon Bell's Twitter. He was liking a lot of tweets that were blasting the organization for his use. And obviously, um, Adam Gase lives on. Um, irrelevant, he says, that they may have misused Le'Veon Bell, who they are still paying to no longer be on their team. I digress. I guess where I will start, real quick, Dalton, LaMichael, Pirine, Frank Gore, any interest in rostering either of those two with probably one of them is going to be the lead back, probably Frank Gore, I guess. I mean, we saw Frank Gore in starting action. It wasn't pretty. Uh, if you need a back, sure, roster him. I would probably roster Michael P. Ryan over Frank Gore. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is uh, Adam Gase even seems to kind of like him, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing at this point. Yeah, well, sort of, but he also played no snaps last week. And he's going the Le'Veon Bell route. Did you see his Twitter? I was going to say he's also <laughs> liking tweets about getting out of the organization <laughs> yeah. and being misused, uh, which is really bad because he's a rookie. Because because Gaze made the comment that he doesn't want to put too much on him, and you know this is the best thing for his development. And the, someone quote tweeted that and was like, "The best thing for his development is to play zero snaps." Like what? And he liked that tweet. So there is that. I will say that if you have a stash roster spot that you've been kind of rotating guys in and out, he's a guy that I would at least put a you know put put a flyer, put a flyer in on and just kind of see what happens. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't roster Frank Gore in a new situation. Mm -hmm. uh, I would sooner take a pump play at a running back like J.D. McKissick even mm -hmm. than Frank Gore, uh, who actually they aren't close in age. Fun fact of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but Dalton's alternative facts, sure. Um, now on to the much more interesting side of this, Le'Veon Bell. Again, we're not going to speculate on this too much because you will probably have signed by the time this podcast is up. But as of last night, Bavada has actually taken the option to bet this down. It got clear up the Chiefs at plus 125, Bears plus 525, Patriots just behind it plus 650. Um, for reference, I don't know where it was on Bavada, but uh sportsbetting.ag had the bears as the favorites previously chiefs right behind so johnny i think you got you got your bet in right yeah i got in right when you sent the uh twitter message of chiefs <laughs> being at plus 500 and i was like ooh, i kind of like that value but uh, -huh. uh whatever i got to this side it went it just dipped down a little bit to plus 450 so i'm holding in on that and hopefully uh levion goes to the chiefs 
<laughs> Real quick, um, just one sentence response. Dalton, if he goes to the Chiefs, what is Bell's range? You know, flex, RB2, and what is CEH? I think they're both RB2s. Um, I don't know enough to make a super qualified statement here, but I did look at some scouts who said that both those players play very similarly mm-hmm. in the sense of they're, you know, they're good receivers and they also play behind the line, uh, which is why this person's particularly with some nobody on Twitter. Uh, he was a scout for Bleacher Report, I think, so take it for what you will. Uh, not Matt Miller. Uh, but he, he, his argument was it doesn't make sense for the Chiefs to sign Le'Veon Bell because him and CEH are <clears throat> not copy and paste the same, but they are very similar players. And additionally, um, Le'Veon Bell might still be asking for a big one, but if they both sign there, they're both low-end RB2s in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I'd said CEH, RB2, Lev Bell, flex consideration for right now. Obviously, as he gets more involved in the offense, as he's there longer, that could change if, in fact, that's where he goes. But what I would say about why they'd be looking to sign him, um, Daryl Williams is, I think, like the second worst qualified back in PFF this year i think that tells you all you need to know um they drafted ceh with the intention of having damian williams with him i think people forget that so keep that in mind um ceh was never supposed to be the complete workhorse unquestioned number one nobody else who can really challenge him for touches for role um as far as that goes and bell number one he's a great pass protection guy you always want that around patrick mahomes number two I mentioned this before the pod. Watkins is out probably at least a couple of weeks. Bell is a guy who the Steelers used to put out wide at wide receiver. You know, he's a guy, you know, maybe you don't fully trust Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, you know, Pringle, some of those guys. Just just put Lev Bell out, out wide or out in the slot and have him run some routes. I will say this made me laugh. <laughs> Davis Maddock on Twitter said, uh, Lay Sean, Lay, Bo- Lay Bell, Le McCoy, uh, <laughs> comparing if the Chiefs signed Le'Veon Bell to the Sean McCoy signing, which we all know didn't have real uh, fantasy relevance. But I, w- I will say that per PFF, Bell has actually been be- has a higher grade than CEH. Not not necessarily saying he'd come in and be a better back. I just don't think Bell is washed yet. Um, he could be, but I don't think so. And. Also, at this point, there's a pretty long list of guys who have gotten away from Adam Gase and been pretty good at this point. Tannehill, Robbie Anderson, um, just to name two off the top of my head. So maybe he gets the old Adam Gase bump. And the Chiefs play the Jets in three weeks. So that would be a really funny revenge game if that did happen. I'm trying to hang on for as long as possible. Still no breaking news. I think we're going to have to end it there. I think it's it. I think (laughs) at the end of the day, we'll find out who Bell signs, and I'm sure we'll talk about it next week when it ends up being a team that nobody thought he would sign with because CEH is a monster and doesn't need anybody else in that backfield. (laughs) I'll say Bears, Bills, Eagles, or Patriots are all options I've seen thrown out there. I think he Bills wouldn't be he Bills would be the one that'd be a little more questionable, but. Bears and Patriots. He's immediately the best back on on both of those teams, in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Chris Jones woke up and tweeted, thank you, God. So who knows what that's about? Maybe he's just in a really good mood today. Who knows? But that is going to do it for us today on episode 17 of Half Point Per Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Half Point Per Pod. I know there was no live stream last week. Um, this week, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, we'll, we'll be in touch with you guys on, on Twitter, let you know what's going on there. Um, even if we don't do the live stream, 
Um, we'll still put some stuff out on Twitter in the morning with some start sit stuff, or you can obviously always tweet us there and we'll answer questions. Our show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, most notably Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our newsletter. That is halfpointperpod.substack.com. And we will talk to you guys again very soon.